0: Episode 74 features the former head coach of the St. Louis Rams and the architect of The Greatest Show on Turf, Coach Mike Martz. Coach will discuss his coaching journey, quarterback development, building an offense, the assembly of The Greatest Show on Turf, his base install of the offense, and his new podcast, The Run It Again Podcast with co-host Ron Pitts. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com. And for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at IGFootballCoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 24, with Coach Mike Martz, starts now. Alright, today we're joined by legendary coach of the St. Louis Rams, Coach Mike Martz. Coach, introduce yourself to our audience.
1: I'm Mike Marks, of course, uh, I've coached for, uh, I guess, 20 years in the National Football League, uh, 18 years in college, and a, and a year in, in high school football. Uh, I think that uh, going through that process, I was a year in high school, four years in junior college football, got into some of the lower level Division One teams, uh, University of Pacific, San Jose State, Arizona State coached there, University of Minnesota and Arizona State. So I've kind of gone through the whole gamut of levels of football and then got into the National Football League so uh, it's it was a great exposure for me I think that's in my opinion that's the only way to do it I don't like skipping steps I think you learn the game better the way I went through it I think you learn a lot more in terms of relationships with players and coaches etc and I think you just learn the game better
2: coach who've been some of the biggest mentors you've had throughout your coach career
1: you know, there's so many that have affected me. John Cooper, uh, there's no question he made a big impact on, on just the details and preparation of the game itself. Uh, I felt like I was a decent coach before I went to work for him, uh, but I, I, soon I realized I wasn't. You know, he forced, he put your face to the fire, made you justify exactly why you're doing everything that you do in the practice field during games, etc. And He would ask intimate questions about, uh, well, where's the clock in the game for a quarterback? You know the, you know that he's got to look at. It. I never thought about those kinds of things. You know his hands, footwork. You know everything about the game in detail. He made you understand or look up or or investigate and make sure that you're teaching everything that can help the guy get get to be a better player. So, from that aspect, he really pushed me along quickly, uh, scheme wise and and uh, just learning. Uh, the NFL went to football a whole different level, earnings MPZ. no question about it. He was the engine that drove the car, so to speak, uh, with the the Chargers and the Coriel years. Uh, he was a coordinator. He was calling the plays and coaching Ben Fouts and whatnot. So, you know, his approach to the game, I learned so much from him. Uh, you just, I said, just lean information. Uh and wrote everything down. I was like a fly on the wall of the years I was with him. Uh, and then I think uh, Dick Vermeil made a big impact on me uh, in a lot of respects, from both the uh, the football part of it, but just the uh, the intensity and, and the preparation, and yes, a carryover from John Cooper more or less. And and then just in terms of calling a game, uh, probably uh, Norv Turner. I've never been any uh, running any as a coach, Norv. North, uh when he started the game, my first year with him at the Redskins, I think the first play he called in any game that I coached for him, the opener was a triple reverse. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was pretty – I was up in the box trying to help, you know. I was coaching the quarterbacks at that time. And I'll tell you what, I was uptight when he said he was going to run that triple reverse and we're on our own 40-yard line or whatever it was, a whole cats, man. He came on first down and threw the ball down the field, and he just went after it. And My relationship with him was real good. Uh, we, we experimented a lot. We weren't afraid to do different things, and really that was kind of the impetus uh, on, on what we started doing at the Rams. I mean, the formation, the shifting, and why we did those things. Uh, had never really been seen a whole lot in the league uh, before that, um, but Nor really had a big impact on me as a play caller.
0: Coach, you talked a little bit about how you've worked at various different levels. In your opinion, what's really the biggest difference between you coaching at those different levels?
1: You know, the players are so different in college, in the NFL. You know, it's just opposite of what a lot of people would think. You know, people look at NFL players as being spoiled, and you've know, you got to cater to them. That's anything but the truth. Uh, just the opposite in college. My experience in college is, was different. I think the motivation – and the intensity uh, is so different than in the National Football League. You know, in college, you're dealing with so many other things. You know, when I was at the University of Pacific, we were playing Washington State University, and we weren't a good team. But we're in a, we're in a position to beat them. We're up there at Washington State, and the quarterback, I won't tell you his name, but now he's coaching the quarterbacks this time. And he comes back, and we've got a throw that's going to win the game down the field. It's the fourth quarter. And he, he throws it to the wrong guy. And it's picked off and it's the end of the game. So I get on the bus and, and I sit down next to him and I asked him, I said, look, what were you thinking about? I mean, uh, obviously the ball's supposed to go over here and you threw to the wrong guy. What's going on? He said, you know, I tell you, coach, he said, I was up all night studying in the hotel room. I've got a, a biology exam. He wanted to be a doctor. And he said, I just didn't get any sleep. And I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to, you know, some of the, the notes and stuff for the game. Yeah, well, yeah, that's how we coaches get fired and hired on those kinds of things. So that whole difference, and, of course, at Arizona State, uh, there's so many things around these students, athletes, that you can't control. And it's so much more than just football in their lives. We're in the NFL, it's just all football. And it's so refreshing to go into a meeting room, and these guys, they are absolutely ready to go. My first year with the Rams, or my second year with the Rams, um, our offensive line coach had throat cancer. So Chuck Knox walked in the office and he said, hey, uh, you know, camp started in three days. He said, you're going to coach the offensive line uh, because, you know, Jim Erkenbeck has throat cancer and we don't know how long he's going to be gone. Well, you got to understand, I was coaching the tight ends and helping on teams. I've been an offensive coordinator my whole life, coaching quarterbacks and receivers. And I'm going to coach the offensive line. And three of those guys were pre. Perennial Pro Bowlers, right? You know Jackie and Dougie Smith and those guys, Tommy Newberry, and so now I got to walk in that room like I know what's you know what's going on. I'm going to the first practice and I'm walking. I got my notes. I've got everything. The very first practice with these guys, and I feel this big hand on my shoulder. And I look up and it's Jackie Slater, and he's laughing. He says, "Hey, you're a little nervous, aren't you?" I said, "Jackie, that doesn't describe how I'm feeling right now." He's he laughs. He said, "Do you just tell me one thing?" It can help me be a better football player, and you got me. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Just one thing a day. That's all I need. Then I had a much better understanding from that point on about professional football. You know, these players, if they if they believe you can help them and you know what you're talking about uh, and you know the details of the game, you got them. If they figure out real quick whether you know or not, and those guys that don't know, they just kind of push them aside. Coach, what's
2: the – been key or what is key in establishing relationships with some of those players regardless of whether you're at the collegiate level or the or the pro level and how do you get them to buy into the program and the fundamentals and lessons that you're trying to teach them?
1: They have to trust you. They they just have to trust you. The story with Jackie he he was telling me they trust me. And they they trust you as long as, as you know or they feel like you have their best interest at heart. You don't have to be their friend. You don't have to be anything other than a good teacher with them. That's the most important thing. I think we all in our lives look back at, the, at our days as a child and can pick out a teacher that had an impact in our lives. Well, that's what coaching is, teaching. If you're a real good teacher, you're helping this individual get better at what you're, they're doing in football, uh, that relationship is uh, is very, very strong. They don't forget you, and they keep those uh, they keep those experiences the rest of their life and use them.
0: In addition to that, Coach, you know, you're probably one of the most famous uh, parts of your career was your time spent during the Rams organization uh, as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach during the era known as the greatest show on turf. So share with us a little bit in terms of how did this dynamic offense just all come together and and what really went into building all of its components?
1: It's a little complicated, uh, to say the least, but it was a perfect place in time is what I used to like to term that. perfect storm if you will uh dick was in his last year basically they you got to win or you're done and i knew that going in uh, and they they didn't have a quarterback they wanted to change that quarterback there's so many needs the offensive line was not very good they had a bunch of high draft picks in there that were just kind of you know they wanted to be catered to a little bit defensively they're a real good team um and they basically, Isaac was injured for two years. He was a hamstring. I was there two years prior to that, and I had Isaac when he came in the league. Ricky Prohl had bounced around a little bit, and we drafted Tori Holt, and then we got Marshall. We rebuilt that team through personnel, and in doing that, the personalities that we brought to that team had a major impact on them. You know, that impact in the locker room, that's everything. You know, Tony La Russa and I became pretty good friends in St. Louis, and We used to talk all the time about um, the impact of the locker room on the field and how important it is that that locker room, that the the message is constant in that locker room and everybody's on the same page. And the term that they used to use is being one of us, so to speak, right? So um, I think that uh, the whole idea there is we had the right people. You know, they're really passionate about playing this game. They want to be great players. They just – they're hungry. And the other part of this is really important. The way that Dick had done things his whole career, he threw out the window this year. You know, Dick was really hard on players in practice, et cetera. Long practices, brutal practices, really hard on players and hard on coaches. And, you know, we sat down with him, Al Saunders and I, uh, one evening and asked him to change a lot of things that he was trying to do going into the, the you know, preparation for the season and camp. And he wasn't comfortable with it. And we kept after it and kept after it. And, you know, to his credit, he said, you know, it's not working. It'll work at one time. But what I'm doing right now obviously is not working. We, we do need to change. And he changed everything. And the players, he backed off, so to speak, and, and was, we had more quality teaching time and, not, and less of these constant reps that were kind of meaningless. You can't, you can't look at all that stuff on tape, right? So the teaching was much better. The relationship started to grow a little bit. And there was just a perfect blend there between a change and approach from the head coach and then a new influx of some key players to the system. And we took the guys in the offensive line that were, you know, the year, we moved them out and got guys in there that were real hungry that nobody knew. You know, free agents and seven, six-round draft picks, Freddie Miller and, you know, uh, Mike Rudadoria was a center, 285 pounds. And, you know, on paper, we didn't look real impressive, but you know, they had, they had what it took in terms of um, the passion and commitment to being a great player.
0: One of those big components of that offense was obviously Kurt Warner, uh, your quarterback during that time period. And and his kind of rise to getting that starting quarterback job is, is one that many people are familiar with as well. So talk to us a little bit about what happened once, you know, you have an injury at quarterback and then, Kurt kind of takes the reins from there. How did you have to change the dynamic of the offense on the fly there? And and what was really the, the difference once Kurt took kind of the reins of the offense?
1: You know, if you uh, if you change, we were so we had moved so quickly on offense. You know, Trent Green was with me at the Redskins for two years and he helped me put that offense in. And uh, we had made a decision in the spring, when, when spring ended we broke for summer, that Kurt would be our number two. And that was a huge step Now, There wasn't anybody in that building that wanted to except Dick and I. And we were the two votes that, that mattered, obviously. So we made that decision because there was a lot of people that wanted to go out and sign Jim Hostetler and some of these guys that were out there that had won and were older bets. Well, that's not what we wanted. We want somebody that was going to do it just the way we wanted. And he knew, we knew that he was capable and had the ability to be a good player, which is not good. We didn't know if he would get his chance, but we were happy with him as a backup. Not knowing, of course, and not thinking that, you know, he's going to start the first game for us. So when, when uh, Trent went down, the, if you change everything that you do because of a change in a quarterback, you hold that whole football team hostage. And he spent the same practices as everybody else. He's had a lot of runs. You have to assume, and this is the key now. This is such a big key because players get the sense. You're sending a bad message to any quarterback. He comes in that game, and, and you start doing things. You slow it down. You're a little bit different. That's a bad message to that kid. When he went in there, we didn't, we didn't change anything. Hey, look, Kurt, you're just going to run and catch up, buddy. Here's where we are. You've got a, a brand-new Mercedes out there. Jump in. Here's the keys. Let's go. You know, you just got to make all the right turns. His first seven-on-seven seven session, guys, was brutal. He was 0 for 8. He skipped the ball into the dirt. It everywhere. And Marshall stopped practice. He said, hey, coach, can I stop and talk to the guys for just a second? I said, yeah, i go right ahead. So he had all the seven-on-seven seven guys in the huddle. And he got them all together. And I stand right next to Ellen. Here's what he told him. He said, look, Kurt, you're our quarterback. doesn't are making sense what happens. No matter what happens, you're the guy relax, we got this. We got your back. Don't worry about it. You just go play like we know you can play. You make mistakes, we're going to compensate for it. Just go get it. Well, from that point on, he was Kurt Warner. So you know, that was huge. That was absolutely huge in the transition. And, you know, uh, I remember walking in the locker room after our last four, our, our fourth uh, preseason game, and I had this national report. I won't tell you who it was. He came in there and grabbed me. He started yelling at me. Who do you think you, you have such a good team? Who who do you think you are starting the season with Kurt Warner and passing up on these other guys, this, that, and the other thing? I said, who are you? I didn't know who he was, you know. And he just went off on me. And uh, I'd like to pick up the phone call <laughs> but I won't. But it's just my point is you, either you believe in the guy or you don't. You can't kind of be pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not, right? So you can jump in, and once that quarterback understands and he knows that you believe and trust in, and that you're going to stay with him. Then it just empowers him, and, and that's what I'm into as a coach is empowering players.
2: Coach, you just kind of touched on that you were not going to, you know, you weren't going to hold the team hostage and and try to curtail things for Kurt Warner or, or anybody really for that matter. So, what was your offensive philosophy, and and when you called plays, did you have a, a rhythm or a pattern that you wanted to get into, or was it I'm going to take what the defense gave me and just keep going?
1: Well, our our philosophy was we were going to attack. We were, again, um, just be on the attack and and do things unexpected. Um, We wanted to control the defense. We wanted the defense on their heels. And that's the formation and shifting. That wasn't just dress. That just wasn't just fluff. There, There was reason for everything that we did. We were always trying to get force for the running game out of position. And a lot of times we did. By the moving and the shifting. And there's a lot of these guys are standing and talk to each other when the ball gets snapped, and you're knocking them back off the line. So the movement and shifting was a major part. That was part of taking control of the game and setting the tempo. And then we played, we just played, we try to play as faster than everybody else. You know, people used to say how fast we were at wide receiver. I I don't know if we were or not. You know, I know Isaac and Tori and Ricky and and Isaac came. you know, they had good speed. Were they fastest? Probably not the fastest guys, but they played faster than anybody else. And that's what we stressed when we went to practice. Philosophically, we practiced at game speed, buddy. That's what we believed in. That's what Dick believed in. That's what I believed in. So when we lined up in practice, we ran from drill to drill. We snapped that ball, and we went full speed. We humped it on, on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. So when the games came, the games were actually easier in terms of the the demanding of how much you run, those guys were in great shape. We get in the fourth quarter, they're just hitting their stride. We were as good, if not better, in the fourth quarter than the first quarter, and that's unusual. And once they got used to that, and that's part of that philosophy, that we're going to be fast, we're going to play faster than you, we're going to play smarter than you, and we're going to come and get you. So hang on, buddy, you're in for a long ride.
0: Kind of Going off one of your previous points there, Coach, talking about the shifting and motioning, when you're a coordinator and you're going into developing a shift or developing a motion versus an opponent, what are some of the things you look for? I know you said you wanted to influence the force player, but what are some of the things you look for when developing your shift package for a week?
1: Well, in order to do that, in order to shift and move and and uh, do all those things, the number one thing is you have to understand defense. So, you know, my first five years in the league, even though I was coaching a position the quarterbacks, receivers and stuff and tight ends, but... My first five years, I also was the guy that broke all the tape down. So I I spent five years looking at NFL defense before I felt like I really kind of understood what was going on. So you have to understand the rules of of the defense of of what they're doing with that front and that coverage. Are they spot droppers? Are they wall and carry players in this coverage? Are they, you know – are they off the ball in the pass rush? Are they, are they hugging the ball? How's that three, you know, are they you know, readers? Are there gap control? All those things you have to know before you start moving and shifting because you have to be able to predict what their reaction is going to be. And that's what we did when we did our film study. We went and we looked at, you know, once we moved the tight end, there are so many teams in the National Football League that would flip the whole front. It was ridiculous. But once we see you doing that, it's going to be a, a, a circus. It's going to be a fire drill for you, um, and and we just made you made it miserable for you. then. so they've got to get shifted over, get lined up again. Then all of a sudden the ball snaps and they're getting their hand on the ground. The safeties haven't finished rocking or changing. They change and then all of a sudden the receiver goes back to the other side. Now they got to decide whether to send force back or not send force back. They're motioning the back out of the backfield to a two-receiver side. Or the single receiver set, how are they gonna count on them? They bring the safety down, they move the linebacker up. So all those questions we would ask during the course of the week, we would try to predict how they would respond to all these things. And one of the interestingly, one of the things that they that I learned in college from the guy I played for, Daryl Rogers, with the unbalanced line, or true unbalanced line with with the heavy sets and whatnot. Half the time these guys didn't know how to line up against it. So you throw that stuff in there. So when it, when I see a team that's gonna blitz you, well, then if they can get lined up right on the snap of the ball, God bless them. Because the zone dogs, all that stuff predicated on strength. We'll change strength at least twice before that ball gets snapped and make you – there are times when they're bringing a the guy and the popper's going out on the wrong side. you know what I mean? So that's why we did it and trying to take control and, and put the defense on their heels. And for the most part, it's pretty effective. What we want to do is get you into a vanilla defense head. I'm not dealing with that now. Once we know the defense, now we can go to work on it. You know, now we can – we know that you're going to be in an overstack of, of quarters defense, and now we can go to work on it.
0: Now, going off of just, um, you know, your, your basic install, if you were going through a day-one install in, in maybe summer camp, training camp, um, or just maybe even an off-season camp, what would be some of your concepts that you would install on a day-one basis?
1: Well, first of all, we put three runs in, and, and we were going to – put all of our downhill runs in right away you know uh, and I believe in that double team you know I know we all have the wide zones to just stretch them out and stretch and cut and do all that and that's fine but it's a physical violent game and we want to start off in the running game with that so we want double teams a power plays we can strong we wanted uh, isolations where you're running up in there with the double team and just pounding guys and and then from that point you can get into the f- more of a finesse runs and whatnot but We wanted to buckle up and learn how to stay on double teams and snap late to linebackers, that kind of thing. Uh, Because when it's really tough, that's what you're going to revert back to. It's a physical game. Offensively, we had three levels that we worked on in our installation. We always started with a quick game, you know, and then we had our five-step game, which is a lot more involved than than any part of the passing game because it's faster and you usually have a full full field read with a five-step game. So, and then we had our seven-step, which is the deeper ball off a play action, and/or you know the third-down step with deep turn-ins. Deep turn-ins are what we call digs. That was kind of our moniker. That was our—that was kind of who we were. We threw them well, we ran them well, uh, and we were very successful doing it. And then we were trying to figure out right away how to get the ball uh, into the receivers' hands with these quick screens and, and the quicks and stuff. So we'd have a little bit of both, and we'd rep the heck out of it in practice and just get it rep after rep. The most important thing, I listened to some guys talk about practice and what they do in individual. We, we didn't really have a lot of individual time. Uh, what we did is we did a lot of hookup with the receivers and the quarterbacks. They threw route after route after route just for the timing part of it so that when we ran a fourth outside step on a post at the, at the angle in what we used to call them angle eights, uh, when the quarterback hit his fifth foot, fifth step, and that ball was released, the ball's gone before the receiver hits his outside foot to go in there, and the ball hits him two yards inside the numbers, approximately 18 yards deep. So that all has to be done. That all has to be worked on uh, tirelessly and in, in full speed. You know, so you're grinding, and those receivers get into shape. They think they're in shape coming into camp, they're not. Now they get into playing shape, and, they, and all those we do that for 15 to 20 minutes at practice.
0: Also with that, your quarterback, uh, the level of ownership you give your quarterback. Uh, I've heard, you know, Kurt speak a couple times in terms of um, working within your offense and some of the things that he would check. How much freedom and, and checks do you give your quarterback on the line of scrimmage?
1: Uh, none, unless it's something. We had run checks where, we, you know, we go strong or weak based on a front, et cetera. Just stuff that everybody would do, but nothing really elaborate. Here's the thing about checking with a quarterback. There are times when we had to uh, just because of certain things, but we want to take everything off the plate of the quarterback. So, in other words, I didn't want him worrying about protections. So, if he could, the center calls out the protection. When when you move and shift, the strength of that protection is going to change a lot. And so, you have to know as a quarterback, what am I responsible for? So, if if they're bringing four a week, but week is over here, and then you change, and then they reload it back over there, and the center still has this call over there, then you have to handle that with a side adjust. And you have to work on that. And so I don't want that quarterback stopping everything. It's, remember we talked about the speed of the game, right? All right? So if you have to stop and change as a quarterback, change your protection back over there, this slows the game down. Now all that movement shifted and was meaningless. Because now you have to wait, defense gets set again. So we hit it on the fly. And if they brought two over here on block, boom, ball comes out right away. And the receivers are, are grilled on on that. We work on that every day. Blitz period was a long period for us. Half of practice, half the time was blitz period for us, so that they get used to all that changes in the formation. So I didn't want him worrying about the protection. I wanted him to find out who the right guy to throw the ball is and get the best throw out there that you can. Uh, we did have a couple of checks. The last check that that uh, Kurt made for us. Um, was picked and run back. And, and I just don't believe in checking and passing. I just don't don't believe it. What we try to do is create a play, a play call, that you should know what to do no matter what happens. You should have an answer for. They don't want to call a play and say, oh, look what they're in. It's a bad play. No, no, we should have an answer for it to help us get us out of it. So what we ended up doing, we ended up doing a lot of these, uh, I guess they're called RPOs today. Well, this is 20 years ago. Well, we were throwing them then. So we had a run called. Instead of checking to another run, instead of checking to a pass, we up. We were side adjusting these runs on two to three steps and throwing them. In fact, uh, the Super Bowl against New England, uh, I called nine of these, and we threw, I think, four of them. So um, that's how we, we handled it. I just want to take him out of it in terms of stopping the game and making a check. I hate that. I hate that. It slowed us down. I don't want to slow down. Hey, let's go.
0: Coach, do you have a preferred, like, favorite quick game concept that you guys would say is, is your go-to, or do you just kind of base it a lot off of a, opponent of personnel?
1: A lot of it, you know, quick game is matchup, particularly in man-to-man coverage. Uh, we're going to try and in formation get a matchup that we really like one-on-one. Otherwise, if it's if it's a zone, we've always liked slants. Slants are, are good for everything. Uh, there's some things that you know, like uh, trail coverage to two minutes is difficult, but Somewhere in there, when you put when you build that play, and this is the promise that we always made to a quarterback look, it's not good against two man, it's not good against quarters or whatever. All right, that's fine. So, you have this over here on this side of the, of the field. Now, if you get that coverage, then over here we built in something just for that. We've got the quick out as opposed to this line, or we got something else over there we like. So, every play that we put in, if we're going to see a variety of coverages where it's good against most, but there's a couple that's not. we got to make sure the quarterback in that play doesn't have to check. He just knows that now this guy over here has got this route, the back's got this route, and that's where I need to go. That's where I need to get the ball to him over here. Instead of just keeping everything right there, which I know a lot of guys do. I don't believe in that. So when you make this play, when you have a new play, and you go over this with your quarterbacks, and and when you install it with your offense, I look, here's what we think we're going to get. This is why we like this. But they hear, they play this coverage too. It's not good against that. Here's where the ball's got to go over here. So you got to be alive on this thing. And you practice that. So when you practice a play, you practice against what you think you're going to see, which is good. But you also at the end of the week, you got to throw some of these other things in here to make sure it functions and everything's good with it. So just trying to remove the thought process away from the quarterback and not slow him down or stymie him. Just let him get back and excel at what he does. You know, making quick good decisions and accurate throws, and don't. Clutter it all up with all this other stuff.
0: Then I got one more. This is a, a question from one of our listeners. They wanted to focus a little bit on the, on the footwork of your quarterback in his drop, whether it be it, mostly focusing there on shotgun. Did you have any specific – types of teaching points that you had for your quarterback in his drop to make sure that he was to balance when he's making his throw and the listener was focusing most on Kurt's drop and I don't know I didn't ask the follow-up with him in terms of what he was so enamored with but they're talking about the way in which Kurt would catch the ball and throw do you have anything to kind of elaborate on that
1: yeah I mean we spent we spent uh we go to the field for weeks and work on drops without throwing football under the center and the shotgun yeah I mean that's and that's the detail. That's John Cooper, right? you got to coach the little details of everything. So what we want him to do is be in what we call the shortstop position uh, where the left – the uh, right right foot's forward because we're going to pivot on the left foot. So we always had a staggered start, whether it's under the center or in the shotgun. So you don't take a false step. So there's no wasted time or distance here, right? So we have a staggered – our feet are staggered like this, right foot forward, so that when you catch it and you got your palms out, thumbs out, so you can handle any errant throw. Okay, so you grab the ball and you pivot on the left foot and you get back, and that begins to drop. Once you catch the ball and pivot, it's just like coming away from the center. Okay, so if you're if you're going to take a, a seven-step tempo, some quarterbacks are big striders, others aren't. Some are more comfortable with a real quick five with a hitch with a double hitch up, and some are more comfortable with three working place and hits. Right, so most of the time, most guys want to take three nice steps and then hitch twice in place. You've got to give the defensive end something to swing at back there at nine and a half yards and then take it away, right? So you got to give them a rush point. So when you get that back foot back there, you have to hitch up about a yard to yard and a half into the pocket, and that lets the tackles push those rushers by. You cannot sit back there at nine and a half yards. So that's real important. When they hit that back foot, we want to load our legs up. So when he gets to his position, we want him to be flat shouldered, nice and balanced with bent knees, right? Bent knees and, and we don't want his shoulder pointed to the target. We want him open just a little bit to freeze his hips up, right? Ball's head held in the in the breastplate, uh, just above the elbows, so that he can bring him back nice and tight and get rid of the ball. However, he throws the ball, he throws it, right? So I know it was really quick, but we spent hours, hours talking about this and, and walking through it. But the key, the key to these drops is you want to drop in rhythm. And, you don't, and I watch them today. and drives me nuts. They're real slow coming back because they're actually making decisions as they drop back on what's going on on defense. Nah, You want to get back as fast as you can. What you see at the beginning of your draft is not going to correlate to the end of your draft, you know, especially in all these zones and whatnot, right? You just got to confirm the coverage. Get back quickly and get set and set up into the pocket. And now make your decisions in your throw. Don't lollygag back there. Uh, because that sense of timing can't change; it's got to be the same all the time. I see the different see quarterbacks in the same game going back at different speeds of time, like it doesn't matter, and it does. There's poor offensive line are going nuts. If you're on a five-step drop tempo, then you just shuffle, shuffle. Remember, on a five-step dem- tempo, you're going to be at about six to six and a half yards deep from the from the uh, center. All right. So if your if your toes are four and a half or five yards in a shotgun, you catch that ball, you. We, we, you do what we call a shuffle, shuffle, just a quick turn, shuffle, shuffle in place, and then hitch, working your feet, hitch, hitch, and work your time and get the ball out. Three-step drop, take the ball, snap your feet immediately, and work your feet and get the ball out. Nothing wasted, and everything's done quickly. And then get to your point that you want to throw the ball. Then if you want to buy time, buy time. But you don't want to go through, you don't lose through a drop and then try and speed it up at the end to try to get rid of the ball quick. It doesn't work. You want to get there quickly. Then if you need to buy a little time, then buy some time. It doesn't work the other way very well. And it's so important to stay balanced and not let your feet come together. Stay off your doggone tiptoes, you know, and hold that ball in the chest where your where center of gravity is where it needs to be. As soon as that ball comes up here, if you take your hands and put them up here and you're standing up, you can feel your center of gravity come up. And that's what, and, and if you take that ball and you put it back there in Back here in your ear, you can feel that weight transfer back into that back foot. You hit that back foot and your drop. You want to press it, but you don't want to be over that foot, right? And that's what we call loading the legs up. You can feel the pressure and the strength into that right foot. And then as you gather forward, your hips are flat and your shoulders are flat. And, you do, and that allows you to use all the levers from your feet all the way up to that little, that, your trigger finger on the ball. If you're if you're tipped one way or the other, then you're not using your legs, and you're usually not using your hip. You gotta let everybody, everything be free, and it's like a big whip. And you interrupt that whip once you become tilted this way or that way. Having flat shoulders, other than a deep ball where you gotta get the shoulder up, having flat shoulders is just absolutely imperative.
2: Now, Coach, you've recently launched uh, your own podcast as part of a tandem with co-host Ron Pitts called the Run It Again podcast. How did this endeavor come together, and what has the experience been like for you so far? You
1: no, know, John, it, it – uh, Ron and I did uh, Fox together. Uh, he was a play-by-play, and I was a color commentator for a while, uh, years ago. And we became pretty good friends, and, and Ronnie called me and had this idea, and I said, yeah, sure. You know, I didn't think a whole lot of it, and I didn't know anything about a podcast or he kind of told me why, and and we have a real good rapport. And um, and then I got to thinking about, yeah, this is a pretty good idea. You know, I didn't know how to start it up for anything, but there's a company, obviously, uh, Westwood One, and then uh, Mike McKay Productions and, and whatnot, and we got this organized and going pretty good. And the whole idea of this podcast is to be different than everybody else so that just what we got done talking about, we can talk about these things. We can take a, a coaches and a, and a former player's a view of things and have an honest discussion about it a lot of things that you perhaps won't hear out there you know players are great you know they're but a lot of them are limited to what they know at that position not so much the whole spectrum of it which a coach has to know and then coaches don't have the players perspective so between the two of us we have perhaps a different perspective and approach to some of these topics and maybe you, you see on tv or, or on uh, the
0: radio Building off that a little bit, Coach, you know, your guys' way of doing things is going to be a little bit different, like you, you have branded yourself with. And so, why do you think it is that, you know, the type of reporting where maybe not the entire story is being shared with us, especially maybe on our major networks, why do you think that is really kind of troublesome? And how does that benefit your podcast moving forward? Because you can provide that perspective.
1: I, I think that's a great question. I think, I think the, the whole idea is, is think of this. All right, here's what you heard. Now here's what really happened. You know, here's what the player's really thinking about on this thing. Here's why this coach did that. Or, you know, this is why the player, you know, everything is conjecture, you know, out there. And the topics are kind of the same. It gets worked over. And, you know, it's just like one of the most important things for the, that a quarterback has to have to play at a high level in this game. And they throw all this garbage around. They don't know. They don't really don't know. And, I feel like we do know for the most part, you know, and would like to impart this knowledge out there uh, from a coach's and a player's perspective, kind of the inner workings of this stuff. You know, what you are looking for in a good running back and why it's so important and what are the needs are. And, you know, so much of it is, is hee haw and, and it just it bothers me. I just, whether we're right or not, we have an opinion. And for the most part, I think it's grounded. And not just common sense, but experience more than anything else. And this is why things are kind of the way they are. So that's our perspective on it. Obviously, um, I am very opinionated. I always have been. And whether I'm right or wrong, uh, you'll hear my opinion.
2: Coach, what's the ultimate goal for the Run It Again podcast? And what do you think the future holds for going forward?
1: You know, the ultimate goal is, is first of all, it's got to be fun for us to do. And I, I thoroughly, I just really enjoy this. I know Ron does too. I, it's perspective. You know, the whole thing is to give a different perspective than maybe what people get, you know, on TV or over the radio and an explanation of why we think this is going to come out this way or or what really happened, you know. And and I think it's a, just a different enlightenment, if you will, that hopefully then they'll get any other place. and. I think that you know, our goal is uh, to reach out to as many people as we can, get them excited, as excited as we are about it.